We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Podcast and Chill, a special edition of the Veterans Minimum Podcast that explores the stories often untold in the world of sports. I am your host, Tim Petropolis, and do we got a good one on deck for you today. Let me ask you a question. When you think of professional baseball players, what do you think of? For me, I usually think of MLB stars with fat contracts. Even players making the veterans minimum, cheap plug, make six figures a year to play baseball. A half a million dollars. They travel from city to city on private planes and play in pristine conditions. When you are a professional baseball player, you live the good life. Well, that's the story they want you to see. But there are roughly 300 players on every single Major League Baseball team all under contract, each of them climbing the ranks of the minor leagues step-by-step, battling for a spot on the 25-man roster in the Major Leagues. They go from rookie ball to short season A, full season A, double A, triple A, having to dominate on each and every level just to reach the promised land and get that good life. So today we're going to explore what it's like to live the life of a minor league baseball player. Today we have on Tom Hackamer. He is a minor league baseball player in the Twins organization, currently in single A. He's a Queens boy. He's also verified on Twitter, got some popping tweets. We're talking to him about his life in the minor leagues, how he got got verified on Twitter, entering the draft and getting drafted not once, but twice and much, much more. So stay tuned. We are going to podcast and chill. All right. So we are welcoming on our guest, uh, Thomas Hackamer. He is a single A pitcher in the minor league organization of the Twins. What's up, Tom? Not much, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Thanks for coming on. So, I mean, this is your third year of professional baseball. 
Uh, you were drafted at St. John's, which is in Queens. Queens in the building. Uh, you went to Malloy. Those of us who are from Queens know very well that it's a well-known baseball high school. So just like overall, how has your life changed from going to someone who played at a big-time baseball program like St. John's to now being a professional baseball player full-time? Like, what are some ways that your life has changed? Uh, well, I am on the road a lot more. I take a lot more buses. We flew a good amount at St. John's, which was always nice. Uh, obviously, a lot more uh, bus travel here in the lower levels of the minor leagues. So take us actually through a road trip. I know you're getting back. Uh, from a road trip right now, uh, what's a no- what's a normal road trip like? From boarding the first bus to the first away game of the trip to stepping off the bus back for the next homestand. Like, what's the travel like? What's the living situation like? How are the fans? Like, what's it like to be uh, on the road as a minor league baseball player? Uh, well, the trip that we just got back from is actually a uh, commuting uh, away series. So we went back and forth every day. Interesting. Uh, feels about yeah. The rule is generally I don't know if it's for all teams or just us, but if it is under 100 miles away, uh, we will commute there rather than going over and staying. Uh, and this trip in particular comes in at 99 miles, damn, so as long as possible that we could have done that. So you got to get on the bus, go play a game, and then come back every day and do the same thing again for what is it, a three game series? Uh, this was a four game series. Yeah. Oh. Some of the shorter ones are nice. They're a nice uh, change from the longer ones. But overall, the travel in this league is really not all too bad. So what's what's like the most you've ever had to travel, say, on a given road trip? Uh, I think we had – I've had a couple of trips that took over uh, 12 hours. Damn. So you were on the – no, did you stop at all? <laughs> did, did they give you some money uh, for yeah, food we, at least? We stopped, fortunately. Uh, anything, that's, anything that's over – generally like three or four hours we'll make a stop at some point so let's say you're not in a commuting series let's say you're just in a regular road trip like what's the living situation like when you guys are on the road uh in hotels usually not uh not five star by any means but uh, they're not too bad i've heard of some of the lower uh levels like of rookie ball there's some some rough hotels, but ours are not too bad. Uh, generally, with one roommate uh, when you're in the hotel. Is it usually the same roommate every time? Yeah, they have a. Uh, for us, we do like a sign up sheet. Uh, you basically just write down uh, your roommate. Have you been rooming with your roommate? Who's your roommate now? Uh, it is Mr. Ryan Mason. Nice. Okay. So, do you guys do you guys usually get along, or is it like is it a sticky situation? Uh, we we get along fairly well. Every now and then, usually it's right when a guy gets uh, moved up. Uh, they'll end up with like a random roommate uh, that maybe they don't know, maybe they don't like all that well, or there's you know there's generally one guy on a team that everyone avoids. But <laughs> there's always one. You say there's a teammate everyone avoids, but when you're in away ballparks. Have the fans ever said some like wild shit to you while you guys are in the bullpen warming up or something like that? Just like, how are the fans out there in the minor league ballparks? Because if they're going to minor league games, you know they're they're into it. Uh, yeah, there uh, there's been some interesting ones. I I don't think I've gotten that much really malicious anything that bad going on. 
The worst of that I actually had, I think, was actually I backed up a big league spring training game and I came in and pitched. That was probably the worst, like, anyone's actually, like, heckled me. Mm. Generally, the people around the bullpen are just asking for baseballs. Uh, people have off- offered us beer, depending on where we are. Uh, <laughs> offered to trade food for baseballs or food for seeds, stuff like that. What's the What's the most bounty you ever got for a baseball? Uh, I think... I don't know if we ever got anything for a baseball, but I know I had a teammate who traded a bag of sunflower seeds for a hot dog. From my from our point of view, is our teammate definitely won because we have a ton of sunflower seeds. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, you're in that bullpen. You're chewing on those sunflower seeds. What's a normal day like for a minor league baseball player? So kind of like take us from the moment you wake up to the moment you uh, kind of call it a day on, on game day. What What's the routine kind of like? Uh, lately, the routine's sort of been along these lines uh, for a home game. It'll be wake up around 10 or so. As a Northeasterner, uh, I require Dunkin' Donuts coffee to function. America runs on Dunkin'. It does. <laughs> or at least I do, anyway. The uh, So I'll go get coffee, uh, maybe, maybe a donut, if I'm feeling good about myself that day. Come back, hang out in my room for a little bit, watch you know TV, read a little bit, maybe. Head over to the field round one or so. Earlier, if I have to lift that day, uh, generally around one. Getting the uh, contrast bath. The benefit of playing in the Florida State League is uh, we're in our Major League Spring Training Facility, so all our training facilities are very nice. Getting the hot tub, warm up for about five, ten minutes. Go through some arm care stuff, maybe a little uh, conditioning, some shoulder care, stuff like that hang out for a little bit, eat lunch. I usually go and grab something, a sandwich, something between what I get there and when we come in from BP. Uh, Play cards for a little bit, as I think all pitchers are supposed to do. And then, I don't know, this is a big thing in our organization. I don't know if it is for other teams elsewhere, but before we go out for pitcher stretch, which is about 15, 20 minutes before the hitters go out to stretch, uh, a few of us will go out about 20 minutes early and play hacky sack for about 20 minutes before we have to actually do anything. And uh, then we'll have pitcher stretch, stretch, throw, run, and it'll be BP. Hitters hit. We stand in the outfield and complain. That's what <laughs> pitchers do. Uh, everything ends. We go in, uh, go back inside the locker room, cool down from sweating out in the Florida sun. Uh, Go check out what the spread is, see if it's any good, hang out for a little bit longer, play some more cards, and then head out to the bullpen. And on a, Let's say on a given night, um, you're in the bullpen, you're out there. Do you have a inkling of when you're going to pitch? Does the manager tell you, you know, you're, you're available today, you're not available today? Uh, do you have a training staff that, that says, like, what your availability is? Like, or Do you generally have an idea if you might pitch that day? Uh, we're usually able to work it out based on who threw when and stuff like that. So we have an organizational rule that relievers aren't allowed to throw on back-to-back days mm-hmm. until you're in double-A or higher. Currently at our level, we know if you threw yesterday, you're not throwing today. If you threw two days ago and you threw a lot, you're probably not throwing today. So based on stuff like that, we can usually guess who's in the mix for that night. Your organization is a Twins organization, but that's actually not the first The first organization that drafted you you're a queens boy you were drafted by the mets in the 15th round of 2015 um you chose to stay in school you uh you bet on yourself it paid off you got drafted again in 16 this time in the fourth round by the twins so 
First of all, how hard was it to turn down like your hometown team after they drafted you? And second, what was that process like of turning down a contract from a major league team and betting on yourself to be that guy who who makes it, you know, to a, a position like the fourth round? The further I get away from that decision, the easier it looks. Like the easier, like, like oh, that was definitely the right decision. That's what I should have done. At the time, it was one of the more difficult things I've ever done. I think. Uh, but it kind of just came down to uh, I did believe that I could go back to school and do better than I did the previous year. I believed that I would probably be better off for it even if I had a similar year to what I just had. And really that uh, from my interactions with the Mets, they just didn't really seem like a good fit for me at that time. And I would rather go back to school, see what happens the next year, and try to find something that would be a good fit for me. I just didn't, It wasn't the right choice for me at the time. So when you say yeah, so when you say like good fit, what what were, what are you looking for in a fit when you're drafted in the fifteenth round? Uh, it's really, I'm not disparaging uh, the fifteenth round of the draft. It was an honor to be picked then. It would have been an honor to be picked in the last pick of the fortieth round. But at the time, uh, through my discussions with the scout who drafted me and. The other people I had spoken to from the Mets, it didn't really seem like they had much of a plan for me. I know that might sound a little bit conceited, but from my point of view, that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that they had something in mind for me that uh, that I mattered to them. I wasn't just going to be an org guy. It's like, ah, go play in Brooklyn for three years because you're a hometown boy and everyone will love it. So when when you were making this decision, like who did you con- who did you consult? Did you have an agent at the time? Were you consulting with him? Did you I, consult- I did not have an agent at the time, and my current agent actually uh, thought that I had one and didn't approach me until much later because of how I had dealt with the, I had dealt with the Mets. Mm. They didn't really believe that it was just me and basically me and my father uh, dealing with them like that. So was it your dad who really was the guy who helped you make this decision? Uh, I would say that my whole family was involved for sure. Uh, I talked to all of them a lot. I have uh, an older sister and an older brother who both played softball and baseball in college respectively uh, and who helped me a lot growing up. And so I I asked for their advice a lot. Uh, I asked my mother, my father, uh, my college coach, my old hitting coach, who, I mean, I'm a pitcher now, so we know how that worked out, but I <laughs> uh, was, was a very good guy and who was instrumental in uh, getting me an opportunity to play at St. John's. Uh, I asked a lot of people, but at the end of the day, no one, no one really wanted to tell me either way, which they thought was right. Uh, I think they wanted me to get to that decision on my own, so I would be at peace with it. Uh, and I did, and I think I made the right choice. I thought it then, and I still do now. So obviously you have a lot of confidence in yourself, and that you need that to succeed in the MLB. Because uh, I know when I was growing up, and probably when you were growing up, everyone wants to be a baseball player. Like, there's no better job in the world than being a baseball player, right? So yeah. when did you know when you were growing up, like, okay, I got a real shot at this? Because everyone around thinks they got a shot at this. How did you know that you were legit? Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't think I had a chance until my freshman year of college. Like in high school, I was a shortstop. I didn't pitch. I wasn't very good. I might have hit 175 for my high school career. I was good defensively, and I'll say that to the end of the earth, but no one will ever believe me because I have no proof. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't hit for anything, and that's all that mattered. 
I really I thought my baseball career was going to end after high school, and turned out I was given an opportunity to go to St. John's, and I was given an opportunity to walk on as a pitcher. It worked out when I had some success my freshman year, and I was around a couple of my good friends who also ended up playing professionally. Like they believed it from that point. I was like, oh, well, I'm pitching as well as these guys. Like I'm I'm hanging with them. Mm. I why not me? That was when it first like occurred to me. So uh, and it, it strengthened as I as I went on and I developed more physically and as a uh, pitcher. So what made you what made you make that transition? Like so you were a shortstop this whole time. Have you had you ever pitched before in high school or was pitching completely foreign to you? I pitched zero innings in high school, much to Coach Curran's uh, disappointment. <laughs> I would imagine this the hindsight's twenty twenty, right? <laughs> so he uh, always wanted me to pitch and my uh, my dad would never let me. So, kind of funny how it worked out. So yeah, so when you make that decision to be a pitcher, like what what goes into that decision? It wasn't really my decision. It was pretty much the only way I was going to play. Mm. It was less my choice and more of my realization. So was it the coaches that, that gave you, that kind of coached you into that funky delivery that you have? Because you're kind of a, for those who don't know, you're kind of like a drop-down sidearm right-hander. So like, uh, Yeah, I throw. I would definitely say I am a sidearmer. Yeah, almost submarine, almost. Like without, I don't know, you don't get far enough down, but it's, it, it's a, it's a big-time sidearm. What, what made you develop that? kind of delivery basically it was just because that's what they told me to do the uh first day i got to st john's i went out to uh first day of practice i went out to the bullpen with the then pitching coach scott brown he uh was working with me i threw two pitches from my normal throwing arm slot is below three quarter anyway i threw two pitches from there he said uh no you throw from down here now dropped his arm down sidearm i was like oh okay that's how it's been ever since. And <laughs> it was that easy? That's pretty much it. All right. So uh, you're doing pretty well. Uh, you have a pretty good ERA in single A. Now, you've been on seven different teams. <laughs> went, up a little, went up a little bit today, but otherwise, sure, I've been doing okay. Uh, <laughs> seven different teams. You've already been all around. Uh, what is it like, the, the, the getting that call, like, hey, you're ready for the next level. Uh, pack your bags. It's time to go to the new team. Uh, it's exciting. It's always a uh, very good feeling. Uh, we just had a bunch of guys moved up to Double A, right uh, at the All Star break, and right after it. Uh, it's good to see those guys. Like the uh, I don't know how to put it. Happiness, pride, mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Uh, like being told, like yeah, you're good enough. You're going up. It's a very satisfying uh, feeling for sure. Uh, so besides being a minor league baseball pitcher you also have a youtube channel which has a couple thousand views on, on one of the videos and also you have a I, twitter I do. yeah i kind of forgot about that <laughs> you have a twitter that's pretty popping you got the blue check that is, my, that is the thing i am proud of that people seem to think i'm funny on the internet sometimes how'd you pull off the blue check uh and again this will sound a little conceited but getting drafted twice gets you twitter followers for some reason mm. people follow all the new draft picks and that helped. And every now and then I say something funny and somebody who has a lot more followers than me retweets it and I get some from that. So, yes. Yeah, so talking about those tweets, you got some tweets that have over a thousand likes on them. And I must say some of them are some hot takes, which would make me happy. I'll because... be honest, uh, the recent ones are a little more hot takes about the MLB. But up until now, the, most, the best tweets that I've had have been things I've been really embarrassed of. <laughs> like I tweeted them and I was like, ah, oh, this is dumb. This will be terrible. So, yeah. So your, your Twitter is definitely 
you know, making some noise out there, making some waves. And that. so I want to talk to you about some of these hot takes you have here. Um, <laughs> the first one is congratulations, you're a minor league baseball player. Seven guys went on the <laughs> seven guys went on the DL, and your pitchers are screwed. Your first paycheck made you mildly depressed. Two of your teammates are talking about starting a baseball basketball podcast. You're a Twitch streamer now for Fortnite. Um, let's start with the first one. Seven guys went on the DL this week, and your pitchers are screwed. We all no, know that, that all of that happened. I was, it was the very beginning of the year. I was on the disabled list myself, actually. You know, a lot of feelings of frustration, a little bit of anger. Uh, and I chose to channel those through, uh, I tried to channel them through humor. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, another one of our organizational rules was for the first uh, couple of starts, the starters can only go 75 pitches. So we had starters going, you know, three and change, four innings. And so that was putting a heavy workload on the bullpen to begin with. And then we, like our our team in particular, just had a ton of relievers going down to injury. Or I guess just pitchers overall. We had a lot of pitchers just going on the disabled list. And our all, most of our pitching staffs were pretty, uh, pretty tight for arms. So that was the explanation for that part. So I mean, for the injuries, look, you got you said you have a great training facility, right? We have the most advanced medicine, uh, like civilization ever. We got smart people, the most advanced medicine. Yet injuries are on the rise. Why do you think that is? Why do you and why do you think that pitchers, in particular, baseball pitchers, are so? I don't want to say fragile these days because fragile is the wrong word, but like injury prone. I I agree with you that fragile is not quite the right word, but I mean, the, the average velocity in the MLB goes up every year and the MILB, I'm sure it goes up. It comes down to the fact that throwing a baseball is very stressful on your body. So, and throwing it at high speeds over and over again will eventually lead to injuries. Does it ever worry you that you know, damn, this is something that could that could you know, I mean, happen anytime. Truth be told, my junior year of college, I used to make our trainer uh, do like all the like Tommy John like elbow tests on me every single day because mm. my elbow hurt and it never had before. I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, can you check it? He was like, Yeah, you're fine. I was like, All right, now I can go let it rip. I know it's fine. Mm. The end of the year, it became more of a joke uh, than anything. But like I, it's a, I'm aware that my throwing motion in particular is not particularly smooth and easy looking. Mm. Uh, I have a lot of range of motion, so it puts a lot of stress on my shoulder and elbow, and I'm mostly just going to keep going until something tells me something in my body tells me, ah, you need to stop. Like yeah. I found out this year, I was on the disabled list for basically what turned out to be a bad case of bicep tendonitis. But I had to go in for MRIs and stuff, and they're like, oh, you have a torn labrum. I was like, oh, that bad? Doctor said, no, <laughs> pretty much everyone has one. If you're a pitcher, like like a 70% chance you have one. Jesus. It's, it's, it's different to know every day going out there, it's like, oh, your labrum's torn, even though the doctor told me it probably happened years ago. How many guys would you th- say... If you had to estimate our pitching with some kind of injury right now. 100%. 100% of pitchers. Everyone has some sort of injury. Wow. That's, that's Except something. Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is the only person who doesn't. <laughs> he's the only person who could tell me his arm doesn't hurt and I would believe him. Yeah, he's, a, he's one of those guys. That, you, know, you know who else? Bartolo Colon. It just, it just seems like these guys could just throw and throw and throw and throw and nothing ever happens to them. 
Yeah. The, what uh, rubber arm? That's what they. David Wells is one of those guys too. Who just well, like Bar- Bartolo, on the other hand, was almost out of baseball like eight years ago. That's true. He had stem cell shot into his shoulder, and now he's going to throw forever. So let's go to the second part of that uh, that tweet. Your first paycheck made you mildly depressed. I don't know. It's I don't know if you know this, but there's actually been a uh, a, a law uh, that's being introduced to Congress that's saying. Yeah, that was the law, so they make sure they can't pay us more, right? Well, they're trying to pay you more, but they're counteracting that with they they're not going to pay you more. For so for, for those people who don't know, minor league baseball players make about around two thousand dollars a month, and for the hours they put in, that's less than you, minimum you wage. You're being a touch generous there. Am I? You'll make two grand a month until you get it to triple A. Oh, okay, so to tell to tell me about that, like what's what's it looking like in for a single A guy? Uh, the standard single A pay is fifteen hundred dollars a month, or high A is fifteen hundred dollars a month. Does that do you get I think kind because of... I think because I was here for a good portion of the year last year, I actually get fifteen fifty. Ooh. So I'm living large. <laughs> one of the better one of the better quotes I've ever heard. Uh, I played in the Arizona Fall League this past year. One of my and we got I think the equivalent of like second year triple A pay. We got our first paychecks, and one of my teammates goes, "Damn, I haven't made this much since I worked at McDonald's." <laughs> so is it a is it is that something that happens a lot in the in the minor league? Like uh, when you guys are just like kind of around the water cooler, like do you, is this something that comes up? Like, damn, we got to get paid more for this shit. Like we say it pretty frequently. Uh, a, a, a joke that comes up a lot is like during a rain delay or something like that. Like, oh, are we getting overtime for this? Well, the, do you know that's actually the the whole point of the the I guess lawsuit like or law. It's one of those two things where they're trying to get you guys overtime pay for when you go over sixty hours. Right. And I think that it's a great idea that will never have any practical result. I think this is pretty much the status quo of where we are, and I don't think it's changing. So, yeah, the paychecks are, if, if you don't know as well, there are signing bonuses. So guys who get drafted, they do get a, they do get a little bit of a signing bonus. Uh, do they hook you up with kind of like, uh, I don't know, per diem, like a meal plan or like some housing? Like what is the housing? How, how do you guys find housing like that? It must be hard to pay rent. Uh, for the two levels I've been at, I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, in low way for us, we have a very good uh, host family program. Okay. So every, for the most part, everyone is assigned a host family. Uh, they're big supporters of the team. They don't make anyone pay. Uh, and it's a very great experience. My host family, when I was in Loe, were some great people. Uh, to the Francois, if you guys are listening, miss you guys. Uh, and thank you very much for everything. It's good that you got a good situation. Is have any of your teammates or anything like that been in some kind of like crazy house where they're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" So, uh, not so much in that level. Going back to rookie ball uh, in Elizabethan, Tennessee, I've heard a lot of horror stories. <laughs> is there is there anyone you could like, share? Guys who are like uh, living in like laundry rooms, like six, eight guys crammed into one house. What's what's the attendance like at some of these games? Like you said, there's there's some hardcore minor league baseball fans out there. And shout out to you guys. There are in uh, in Low A for the Cedar Rapids Colonels. I'd say we actually average about three thousand fans a night. We got up there pretty good a few nights. Uh, the fan base there was very very loyal, very good. Uh, except when Hawkeye football started at the end of August into September, then they were all at the Iowa Hawkeye football games. Right on time for the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. But, but otherwise, they were uh, very good uh, in terms of attendance. In the Florida State League, however, 
I think if we had a thousand fans on a given night, that'd be a pretty good night. So as you as you said, like so, it depends on where you're at the attendance. And something that you tweeted as well that got two point four thousand retweets is. While you're discussing MLB attendance dropping, have we considered factors like people not wanting to pay to see the tanking Marlins team or would rather watch a game at home on their 69-inch LED TV instead of paying $30 for parking and $12 for a beer? Um, In minor leagues, in the minor leagues, it's not like that. It's actually affordable. You could take your family. Uh, Do you think baseball is kind of overstepping its bridges with with all this, honestly, paying $30 for just to go watch the Marlins lose 12-3? to I don't know if it's my place to say. I don't honestly know what would be the appropriate price for any of these things. I was mostly just angry about uh, whatever article came out that day that caused a stir in the baseball world, saying that, you know, baseball attendance is declining because people are striking out too much. Uh, and I think, I think that's unfair to say that, and that was really just a counterpoint. Are things overpriced? Probably. Are, is that the issue? Partially. I think there's a lot of components to it. Uh, interestingly, I really enjoyed uh, the success of those tweets, not because, well, partially out of my own vanity. <laughs> I think I'm funny. I think other people should see that. Uh, but the responses were very interesting. Uh, I got... On that one in particular, about half of them were, wow, where did you find parking so cheap? <laughs> uh, and the other ones were, like, people who were, like, thinking, like, oh, if uh, there were people, like, going through it, like, well, if you, you know, go to this stadium, you park here, it's only $5. You go sit up in the bleachers, you still get to enjoy the game. You know, you get this, like, uh, value uh, concession thing, uh, and everyone has a great time for 100 bucks. Uh, and I think that's the... Another part, that's uh, the fans' reactions. Like Some people will still go uh, because they can still find a good deal if they look for it. And another good point that someone made was people doing, uh, or teams doing uh, sliding, like varying pricing based on how the team's doing. Mm. Like when I was in college, people would go to Mets games for like $7. I was, in the bleachers. Yeah, I was one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the Mets the Mets continue to just everything we're talking about about injuries and stuff. The as Met as a Met fan, I know that firsthand. Are you a Met fan? Did you grow up Mets or Yankees? Were you in the Mets or Yankees house? Really weird situation. We're gonna run through this quick. My dad, born and raised in Jamaica, Queens, Red Sox fan. Uh, how did that happen? Don't know. I assume he just hated the Yankees and the Mets weren't a thing yet. Okay, makes sense. Uh, so there you go creative way of calling my dad old. <laughs> uh, then my brother was a Mets fan. And I personally was a Yankees fan. So a, a lot of fights in the house growing up? Real weird, really weird dynamic. I wouldn't say fighting so much as just, I, it's just confusing how that all worked out. Have they become twin, Twins fans now? Yeah, everyone's Twins fans now. Awesome. So uh, one thing that I've been talking about on the show, and anyone who listens to me knows this, is I have a big problem with the shift. Uh, I think a lot of the reason for the decline in anything that's going on with baseball is the fact that the shift is taking away offense and that it's just really changing the game in a way that's not healthy for the game. As someone who definitely benefits from the shift, first of all, how prevalent is it in the minor leagues? Do you see it 
at the same rate that you do in the major leagues? And also, what are your thoughts on it, and do you think that there's a place for it in baseball? Uh, all right, well, it's becoming more prevalent in the minor leagues as we have more and more data available to us on opposing hitters. <clears throat> I've seen some things that have really... Uh, I think it's probably a big difference between how different teams do it. We were just playing the Pirate Tie team, and we had a guy who just came up from low A for this series. This is his first series here. And in the third game, they were playing him in a pull shift. And that, to me, seems like you might be jumping the gun a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think overall that as far as trying to win games goes, that is an intelligent strategy. Especially, for, especially at the major league level, where they the amount of data that they have on every hitter against different pitchers, against different pitches, stuff like that. I think it's an incredibly intelligent way to try to steal out uh, and win games. Does that hurt the product of baseball? Is a different can of worms, especially because you get a lot of people, you know shaking their fists at the clouds and screaming, why doesn't he bunt down third? Uh, and stuff like that. And I think that creates a big division among the old and the new school. I can't say overall if I think it's good or bad for baseball. I think that the teams who adopt it more quickly, like the Astros shifted more than anybody else uh, last or in their World Series run. But then this year, someone else is like has taken the lead. I think as long as it's done according to the data intelligently, that it's a good strategy for winning. I can't, I don't think I can speak to whether or not it's good for the game, uh, but I do think it's a smart play trying to win games. When you're in the locker room, you got a whole bunch of dudes, and I've been in a situation where you put a bunch of dudes that are all 20 to 24 or whatever, 25, 26 in a room together, uh, someone is going to do something crazy uh, because, you know, you get stir crazy. Uh, is there any stories that uh, you could tell us where you won't get in too much trouble from your teammates where, uh, you know, something just unusual or crazy happened in the locker room? Uh, not so much. Uh, there's nothing too weird, like, in the locker room. There'll be some interesting uh, little things here and there, but nothing too crazy. It's mostly everyone goes stir-crazy, like, in hotels, on road trips. Like, our current living situation is at home we have what we call the academy. They basically have dorms for us on our spring training site, and that's where most of the guys live when they're in IA and where most of everybody lives during spring training. Mm. It's mostly people go stir-crazy in those situations. I'd say in the locker room is actually when we have... Everyone has something to do. Everyone's kind of focusing on the game. That's when everyone's at their least ridiculous. I'd say off the field is where everyone kind of loses it. Like, we've had... Oh, <clears throat> Names obviously omitted to protect the innocent uh, and the stupid. <laughs> we have we have a guy who, for most of the last season, I've yet to see him do it this year. The one the one restaurant that should sponsor minor league baseball because we're there that frequently is Waffle House, great establishment. I don't think there's any in New York, which makes me a little bit sad. Yeah, none. But I remember going down to Georgia and going to a Waffle House and being like, "This needs to be in my hometown right now." It's great, and it's fantastic because it's always open. You get done with a game that got delayed an hour and still went 11 innings. It's 1.30 in the morning. You can go right in. No problem. We had a guy who, like, we obviously went to them a lot. We had a guy who would just pick up cigarette butts in the Waffle House parking lot and pretend to be smoking them, and we're just like, all right, well, he's losing it. We're, 
two months into the season and the madness is set in. I used to have a job, man, where, where I used to be on the street asking people for donations. And the person that I was, like, who was teaching me how to do it, I, I held this job for, like, three days. It was the worst thing I've ever done. But the, she would pick up cigarettes from the street and smoke them. It was the right. craziest well, thing I've ever this heard. Guy doesn't even, this guy doesn't smoke. He doesn't uh, dip or anything. He just did it maybe a little bit for attention, but also just because you start to lose it. <laughs> yeah, you got to think of something. Um, speaking of losing it, uh, we were talking about the money earlier. Uh, are there guys in your teams that have jobs in the off season? Is that, is that a, is that a normal thing? Do you got, first of all, you don't get paid when you're not on the field, right? So, uh, we do not. so do, do you guys have jobs in the off season? Uh, there's definitely people who do. I'd say most people probably do lessons and stuff. I have one teammate currently who is a, uh, he's an accountant. So he does accounting work in the off season and he even does some now, like he can do it remotely apparently. Mm. So he'll bring his laptop on trips and he'll do accounting work. Uh, I had a teammate. He retired this past year, but he worked at Costco in the off season. Said it was great. He he raved about it. I'd say for the most part, uh, people have jobs. It's generally uh, giving lessons. And that's the easiest thing for us to do because you can kind of set your own schedule. You'll generally be doing it in a baseball facility. Then you'll have a place to work out. Uh, you get to attach the label like, oh, he's a pro player with the Minnesota Twins. Makes it a lot easier to get people in. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So, I mean, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight on the uh, on just the life of a minor league baseball player and what you guys go through. If they want to follow you and uh, want to see some of your funny tweets, uh, where could they follow you at? Uh, that would be at HackAttackImmer. My name, my last name, Hackimer, with the word attack inserted into the middle of it. Uh, for pretty much any social media. All right, man, thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us that insight on what it's like to be a minor league baseball player. And good luck, man. If you ever make it to the show, don't lose my number. Hopefully after this, I see a few less comments of, oh, I'd pay to be doing what you're doing. Uh, Now that I've given you a little insight into what we go through. That being said, I do still have the greatest job in the world, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, And thank you very much for having me on to talk about it. Tom Hack Attackamer. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you very much. So that was our episode. Thank you so much to Tom Hackamer for coming on. And hopefully you guys got a little insight on what it's like to be a minor league baseball player. Uh, I know that's some interesting stories. Man, it sucks that they're making so little money. Because you, you hear about all these big-time contracts of baseball and all these guys like, oh, they're so fragile, they get hurt, and they get paid all these millions, and it's all guaranteed. But you really got to work your ass off to get there. And hopefully that was a little bit of insight of what you have to do. If you want to follow me, my Twitter handle is at Tim Petrop, but only if you're feeling real, real, real frisky. For the entire podcast, it's at Veterans Minimum. For the entire studio, it's at San Agato Studios. Again, this is called Podcast and Chill. There's not really a set schedule for this. Whenever we feel like, you know, talking to a guy that's not usually in the spotlight of the sports, uh, you know, debate or conversation, uh, you're going to hear it here. Uh, we have a couple of guests lined up and it's going to drop every once in a while. So keep checking iTunes, keep checking SoundCloud, uh, keep tuning in. Uh, some of these episodes might even be on YouTube. So check out the YouTube, youtube.com at veterans minimum, facebook.com slash veterans minimum. And with that, I'm out. Let's do it again. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our keep stock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff 
in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.